0: Welcome to episode two of Community In. Today we're going to be talking about community and sales. My name is Jamie Langscove. I'm joined by my fabulous co-host Laura Holmes and Jackie Salinas. And let's start it off just by catching up. You know, what have you all been up to since last week? And we'll jump into a couple of really interesting developments uh, in the industry this week. And then we'll go ahead and bring Josh on and we'll have a chat. So Laura, why don't you start us off? I heard that you have been doing some pottery classes and I am yes.
1: desperate to see <laughs> the bowls that you are making. Well, thank you. I appreciate the interest. I believe I left everyone on a bit of a cliffhanger, you know, because I was off to my class after the last podcast. So I'm sure inquiring minds would love to know. I would say I improved slightly in that I made something. That could be described as like a passable bowl, my first class. Nope, um, but the, this last class, I, I made something I was much more happy with. It could contain something instead of what I did the first okay. time. So I can't, I can't bring it. I will happily bring it and show it, and hopefully, I keep getting better. And then the bowl you all eventually see will just be mind blowing.
0: Your episode, we need to have like a water test. You no, know, yeah.
1: water. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. Or is
1: it like a pencil holder? This thing. is going
0: to be a, a new segment. I can feel it. <laughs> water. And we're going to first test Laura's most recent pottery creation. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to call out the latest nonsense coming out of the C-suite. <laughs> oh, I like that. That somehow <laughs>
1: feels aligned.
0: <Right? laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, awesome. My weekend was pretty standard
2: I played dolls and cleaned house that was that was that what we did this was weekend. part of my weekend too did yeah. a deep clean of the kitchen
0: yeah and I mean with my ADHD it's like when I get in a mode of cleaning I'm like do all the things and then I hit a wall and I'm like and I'm done and I will not clean again for many moons. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I also find it like it's funny that you mentioned ADHD I'm, I also have ADHD but do you feel like when you start to clean it ends up being like a bigger mess initially before you get through the other side oh for sure
0: yeah I mean how many times do you like I was doing this really bad yesterday and I told my kids I was like I am in this mode of oh I should clean that and then I'd see something else and I'd be like oh wait I should clean that thing and then I'd be like oh, the dishes are dirty and this pot needs to be cleaned or I can't make breakfast. And oh, but I can't make breakfast until this is put away. And and then I end up getting nothing done and an hour has gone by and I'm like, I'm hungry.
2: <laughs> I know, real it's life bad. goes.
0: It's bad. Um, but yeah, so I mean, let's let's jump into it. We have Josh Gross joining us today. Super excited to talk to him about sales. But Before we jump in, I wanted to cover a couple of topics. Uh, One is definitely not an upper. Uh, I wanted to recognize the passing of Joanne Epps of Temple University and Arinthia Montag of Volunteer State Community College. And both of these women were way too young, Black, professional women, uh, very accomplished, brilliant women who are a perfect example of the stress that high-performing women during their, their rise and their climb to the top and the additional pressure that's put on them to perform at levels that are higher than their white and male counterparts. And so obviously I can't speak from the Black female experience, but I will say that As a professional woman, it is so much pressure to not only perform professionally, but also as a mother, as a partner and a wife, as, you know, a housekeeper and the cook and the laundress, which I will tell you, though, I had my kids doing their own laundry from the time that they could lift their laundry baskets because, nope. But I just wanted to acknowledge the passing of these two very accomplished women that uh, are obviously a terrible example of how we should be treating women in our society, and so I, I wanted to to take a moment to recognize them.
1: Thank you for bringing that up and sharing, Jamie. It is really unfortunate. Um, devastating. What's happened? So
2: the audience who might not know, can you give a little bit more background into why you're honoring these women?
0: Well, I know that the Black community is in pain right now. I, I make a point of trying to follow as many Black voices as I can, and and Brown voices, and LGBTQ voices, people whose experience is different from mine, but that I feel need to be represented. And so I wanted to acknowledge the pain that that community is in and uh, recognize that this is an issue that impacts all of us, but especially the Black female community. And... I think that we we have adopted this or accepted this uh, mindset that women, especially women of color, have to work and perform at twice the level, their colleagues, and it's not acceptable. And we need to recognize these. We need to not move forward as if everything is fine because it doesn't have a direct impact on our lives. And so I just wanted to make sure that we are recognizing especially because we don't have any Black women on our team yet, um, that we are recognizing the impact that these deaths and the ongoing violence and suffering in the Black community have on our Black colleagues. Thank you. So I didn't mean to bring down the whole conversation here, but uh, I wanted to make sure that we, we took a moment to recognize that. And I think the other thing that I I see a lot about Black maternal death rates, and when I am at the same time seeing a lot of women who are pregnant, who are expecting or have recently had children who are being let go from their companies, I am even more angry and devastated by that. And all of this is connected. It actually brings me to the next topic, which is uh, just recognizing that we're seeing a lot of the same companies who have been doing layoffs are now starting to do rehires trying to navigate <laughs> the the mental gymnastics there of looking for a new job or you've been laid off by these companies and and starting to see them rehiring all of a sudden can be very hard to to navigate so i wanted to raise that as well and and see kind of what y'all's take on that process that we're seeing happening now and especially i wanted to ask you Laura like if you were yeah an executive through an economic process like this, what would your guidance be? And what would you expect their mindset might be during an economic downturn like this? And and how do they manage those conversations with people as they're trying to explain, you know, we're making these decisions that are kind of tough. What are yeah. the things that you would tell them?
1: I think I would, I mean, I often ask a lot of questions, right? I think sometimes my role is not necessarily to provide answers, but to help executives, individuals reach their own conclusion, so they feel grounded in whatever path forward they're making. You know, choices towards. So, I'd ask a lot of a lot of questions, and I would really, I think, try and anchor those questions in, especially you know, an economic downturn like this. To me, and again, I'm not at these tables necessarily, but are these decisions being made, and is there a fear component here? Are they afraid of what's ahead, and so fear is driving a decision versus maybe solid, you know, financial. Information, right? Because my perception is a lot of these decisions are being made not when like dire financial circumstances, but the fear of anticipating what is to come. And I think that is, uh, from my perspective, led to some short-sighted decision making, which is how I see these rehire, you know, um, journeys right we're going to lay off a ton of people realize oh we probably didn't need to lay off a ton of people now we need to rehire and good thing we know who we can reach out to because we let them go and so again i think my questions would be you know one a lot of questions but also anchored in like what's really driving this is it because your buddy company next door is doing it? Is it because of what you heard on the news is it really founded in something that your business needs to operate are there other ways of approaching this so i don't know i'll pause there one cuz my voice is failing me, but two, but two, I, I, I'll just, I think I, I blabbered long enough. So yeah. And I mean, I think your,
0: your points are valid and I think it really does go to the fear and the incentives. And I just wonder how do we get out of that cycle, especially coming from a community perspective where we're constantly battling this mindset of being on a quarter to quarter basis, right? Because mm-hmm. we can't deliver results in a quarter that I think a lot of executives might. Be looking for if they don't have the right expectations. And so I think, you know, kind of like we talked about last time with a switch to enterprise sales because you're scared and. You don't have the time. You think you don't have the time mm-hmm. to wait for product-led growth or community-led growth.
1: I, I think it all connects, and and what it has me thinking about is, you know, a lot of you hear a lot of senior leaders coming out. This was a really difficult decision. This was a really hard decision. I think rest on that. You know, the laurels of this was really hard for all of us, but I think it would be also hard. To maybe say, we're going to have to weather some economic challenges right now, and this is what that's going to look like, but we're not going to make layoffs because, you know, we're not in that position, but it's going to be hard, right? To me, that's also a hard decision, but has less human cost. You don't have to trust humanity in it. Right. I feel like your employees would be like, oh, I understand this. Your point, Jamie, about how do you communicate this to people? I feel like if I'm an employee and a leader was like, look, it's not great, it's not great, but we're going to weather this together and here's how. And we're going to check in, you know, at different timeline intervals to see where we're at versus Mm -hmm. no communication and then, well, there goes 10, 20% of our yeah. workforce. And then now we're going to hire people back. Like the employee experience, the human experience, very, very different. Yeah,
2: actually reminds me uh, of this company, CloudBees. And during the pandemic, instead of letting people go, they actually made the decision and communicate that, communicated this I, from what I heard very well to, to their employees that they were all going to take like a percentage reduction in their pay mm-hmm. so that everybody would stay employed. And I, I mean, I found that to be, I admired that because it's, it's yeah quite uncommon to say, like you said, that this is not great. We have no <laughs> idea what's going on. But at least it's like more humane, and it's like we have no idea like how this global pandemic is going to shake out if we're ever going to like. I, I thought that was a very humane decision to employ instead of like laying a ton of people off because exactly. you're 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 making like a business decision.
1: Exactly, and I think there shows there's other ways of thinking about how you navigate a challenging time. You know what? I, you know we continue to see in especially the tech space, appears to just be, this is the approach. This is what everyone's doing. You know, we get a little afraid, worried about where the economy's going or our finances. Layoffs are the answer. You know, I'm not in those conversations, so they very well may be exploring some more creative options, but at least it shows, Jackie, your example that there's other Yeah, Nicole mentioned this.
0: in the comments here, the company she was at at the time of the pandemic did that too. And they did one of those creative solutions, right? They went to a four-day-a-week at 85% pay. So I mean if you need to cut people's pay then you should also cut their time so that they can yeah. go and fill backfill that income, right? If mm-hmm. they need that amount to make their bills, let's make sure that they have the ability to go do that. Yeah. Okay. I love this topic. I want to dig more into it, but we have our very exciting guest Head of Growth at Common Room, Josh Gross, is joining us to, um, speak of you know, courageous decisions, <laughs> speaking about uh, community and sales. So welcome, Josh.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think we could still jam on that topic too, but <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that uh, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is because I think that there is a lot of animosity is probably not the right word maybe tension between uh, different parts of the business especially right now when people are losing their jobs and yeah. and we're all trying to wrap our heads around like why are certain things being prioritized and how do we make sure we're communicating value and so I'm super stoked to have you on I want to start just by. Asking you first, tell us a little bit about Common Room for anybody who has been living under a rock for the last few years, kind of what your role is there, and then we'll jump in.
3: Sure, sure. Uh, So Common Room, it it kind of actually plays really well into what you all just talking about, where um, we're all being, like, if during the downsizing or the pandemic, um, if you were given the opportunity to say, like, what could I do to improve the situation? So I think, like, one area that I probably build on with what you were talking about is the like the autonomy and the accountability. So once you understand that there's a problem, now I get to decide how I want to help fix it. And what we've seen, so with Common Room, we started plainly as like a, and I don't know how plain this is, but a community platform. So when we define community, it's more of an ecosystem where people are talking about you, your products, your brand. So it extends beyond just a forum. And the first thing we wanted to solve for was the community Professional. So, someone that's got to report metrics, they've got to engage users or members, they need to be able to build impactful programs for the business. So, your user groups, your champion programs. But what we saw, and as a result of the same things you were just talking about, is that the best way that a community professional could actually add value to their organization is plugging into the user journey. So, rather than say when somebody joins our forum, or somebody joined, say, our Slack, that's the community. It's more we're intercepting them or meeting a user where they are. What that means is a community professional needs to have the same context as the rest of the business. So you need to understand where they are in the product, how they feel about the company, who they're engaging with and so forth. And so what we've done is we've expanded common room from just helping you build programs and measure the success of those programs, but now in understanding how you can personalize, how you can share data across the organization, product, go to market, so sales, um, engineering, support, and so forth. So really, it's kind of a a platform that tracks the, uh, I'd say, the user journey. I
0: love that. And uh, it's also part of the reason why I felt like you were the the ideal person to tackle this topic, because I think that sometimes the the tension is, and I I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. And I'm sure Jackie can also attest to this, but you know three, even five years ago, it would have been unheard of to have anything sales related touch community, right? Stay out. You're going to ruin it. You're going to make it not valuable for anybody because you're in here being aggressive. We as a profession have to evolve a more nuanced understanding of our relationship as community caretakers and advocates with the revenue generating part of the business, because as long as we have continued to separate ourselves it becomes really difficult to explain to the business why they should keep investing, right? So what I'm interested in particularly, and then I'm going to let the ladies here ask you some questions as well, but what I'm most interested in is you started in sales and Mm -hmm. you have joined as a part of the the growth, I mean, leading the growth movement at Common Mm -hmm. Room for a community platform. So you had to gain a lot of empathy for community builders. Mm -hmm. My question for you is if you were to be, say, leading a class of salespeople and you were trying to get them to understand how to work with community, what would you say to them? How would you get them to start thinking in the right headspace? I think that's a
3: a great starting point. One, because I feel like the community professionals that approach this problem, trying to answer that as well, do the best. I actually got my start, well, my first startup that I was at, I was a first go-to-market hire and we were building our product in a community called Spiceworks, which was for IT professionals. However, my last role, I was at a startup that was acquired by a company called Splunk. And I ended up in product management. And there, what I needed to understand was, like, we're introducing new products to market. So one I need to understand, why were we not known as the best product in the market where the product itself was the best at the time? Um, and this was aside from their logging platform, which was market leading. Um, and what I found was there were other startups out there one that had 20,000 people in their Slack. And these were all the core persona that they wanted to engage with. And so when you see something like that, that 20,000 people in the role that is most, I would say, precious to your business, want to engage in the place that you own, that means that you wield a lot of influence. And then they would do content collaborations with these individuals around the role. So it show how much empathy they had for them. And they'd be associated with those brands. So they're starting to get social proof. So at Splunk, I did the same thing. I built a Slack, like I got two Slack channels in our free workspace where we'd lose messages every nine days because (laughs) it was on the free. And then I created a category in Coros for it. So it was called observability. And the first thing that I found was a customer that was spending $600,000 a year with us was asking questions in the Slack. And so at the time I was in product, I was helping us get to like product market fit and grow. That's when it all clicked. I was like, if the company knew who was in there asking questions about our product, trying to activate, then we would have way more resources here. I wouldn't be the only person in there. And so that's when I realized, okay, this is an important part of a user's activation journey, especially in like a B2B community. So B2B, product-centric, potentially technical. I think we overlook the fact that like the user journey is always a mess. You could have product-led growth, but people get lost. You can have docs, but they're never up to date. Like, so there is a human element that fills that gap and, and community has solved for that for so long. Um, now for sales, the area that I think uh, we struggle with, especially in working with community, is the fact that like a community professional is is curious. You want to understand, but with sales, it's all anecdotes. It's like, no, this salesperson came in and, they, and someone complained or they DM somebody or this or that. And it's like, hold up, like, Today, what a salesperson really needs to do is provide value. They need to figure out where in that user journey can I insert myself so that I provide value, so that they're more likely to buy. That's it. Um, especially like in enterprise sales or higher, like average sales price. And so there was a person actually the the person that created the the Splunk community. She also did it at Honeycomb and Cribble. Um, Her name is Rachel Perkins. She sent me, and I can share this after the fact. Um, like a five pager on how she indoctrinates community to the rest of the company, because her idea is the community is not separate from the company. It's just, we play an important role in there and each of you do something different. Now hers was more around like building the brand and listening and participating in conversations to show that you actually are credible, empathetic and that you're like-minded because otherwise you just are a salesperson or you're just an SE or support or whatever it is. So like for me, just on Friday, I posted something on LinkedIn because like I'm involved in our community. But usually I'm it's more like I participate in the conversations. I answer pro- product questions because I don't know if we really like most community professionals aren't product experts. Sales actually has to become product experts to win. And so they bring something that you're not getting from support today into the community, which is some level of expertise. And so I'll go and answer some support questions in our Slack. And it happened to be someone in our ideal customer profile. They were looking at like wanting to have more history from their community, meaning like longer retention and so forth. And I answered a few questions, shared some docs and said, oh, by the way, like you can, that's like negotiable on these other plans. And they're like, oh, connect me with sales. Well, it's like, I'm kind of sales. I just did that like, like, and they're stoked because they were helped. Like, I think we look at like the community and think, okay, they're joining for a reason they're joining for whatever reason got there and how they found us. And if it's because they're trying to activate on the product because they're trying to build their first program, whatever it is, we just need to meet them there. And by having sales involved, one, they're incentivized if they are their accounts, which is great. But two, like, we all benefit when the brand is strong, the product has a great reputation, people believe that we're standing behind it because we're so responsive in the community. Um, it's a great feeling.
0: Thank you. Jackie, I know you unmuted, but if either one of
1: you has a follow-on question, feel free. Sure, I'll jump in. Josh, that was all very interesting. Thank you for sharing. Um, we talked a little bit about this last week, and, you know, Jamie kind of indicated I'm not... A Typical kind of community individual. So my question last week was kind of around the language turning inward to the organization, right? So it sounds like you're very active, and you answered that question. So what does that mean um, for you when you interface with post sales teams and other teams within within a common room to then ensure that that user journey is positive, right? How do you see those two related? The internal kind of com- community within your organization and how that mm-hmm. then projects outward to the users and individuals curious about Common Room? Uh,
3: so uh, I would say the the biggest thing I've learned about what community enables is personalization because people join somewhere, mm-hmm. so they have some motive and then they share something or they don't. When they <laughs> share something, it's like first party information like if you're like whatever with ai if you're using that you can generate like an entire profile of what you think this person would want next and so the conversations that happen in community if they don't get back to the rest of the company that's a huge loss because you lose that opportunity to personalize um when i first started in tech um there was this idea of like specialization in sales where you'd have one person that would call and schedule meetings. Another person that would schedule meetings from inbound emails or demo requests. Then there's another person that would sell. And then there's another person that would do the renewal and all this. And what happens is each one of those, there's context loss. And for the user, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. And so that's like another reason why, like very bullish, of course, on room. but it's this idea of like, if you have all that context and you're sharing what happens outside with what happens inside your company, then everybody wins. Like for us, like we build our customer advisory board based off of like the community plus the product information, because you see who's most engaged within our Slack and then who's also using core features in our product. And now we know they're the perfect set. Um, I had to build a customer advisory board at Splunk as well. And the way I did it was I had to ask sales who should be nominated or I had to look at like, who spends the most money with us. And then you have to find a person and this person may have a different role or persona or interest than someone from another company that's in there. And so you end up with this like hodgepodge group where the feedback is not nearly as valuable. And so I'd say like, if you're, if there is a delineation between that external community and the internal teams that need that data, that insight data context, then it's a huge miss Mm -hmm. and it, and it directly impacts customer experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I lived in the um, tech space for a long time in the implementation Mm. and onboarding world. Oh, yeah. So, uh, (laughs) so that was kind of my question. Yeah, I should have maybe given you that context before, but, you know, I see a lot of tension between teams because all that sounds, you know, logical and makes sense. I think in practice, it becomes a lot harder to do. Um, You know, sales wasn't, didn't always want to maybe hear the reality of what it means to implement yeah. CS didn't want to hear the reality of what it means to implement. And, and then the other directions too, right. Appreciating yep. the difficulty of making a sale and things like that. Cause I agree. It is hugely important that feedback loop is gold. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in execution and in practice, it's not always as smooth as maybe all of us would, would have liked it to be.
3: Yeah. Uh, so we have like, we, have a few different ways to like for post sale. Like last week, um, we brought on a, a a really large, like Fortune 50 company as a customer. And awesome. for that, yeah, I, I'm so it took a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, congrats. I actually met them at a community <laughs> event. Like, uh, so yeah, there you go. Um, but uh, what ended up happening was okay, so it's like they have like a very complex community ecosystem with multiple communities with different products and teams and that we have to support. And so for us, it's like, well, there's an expectation of what they're going to get when they buy. How do we make sure that not only does that become reality, but it's even better than that. And Mm -hmm. to do that successfully, like one, you need to live where your, your customer is. So if they're in our community, we need the rest of the company in our community. So everybody at common room is in uncommon, which is our Slack. Um, Additionally, like, we do the standard like onboarding. So there's like a multi-page Google form on how far along they are, who the people are, what are the outcomes, all of these pieces. Then there's like a customer success that's um, also assigned at that point in time based on strengths. Um, we also have like our internal slacks where each company may have their own channel. So product engineering leadership is all involved there so that there can be for any escalations. Um, And then on top of that, uh, one thing that because of the stage we're in, but ideally that never really changes, um, is like if I'm the one that sells the customer, I'm going to stay involved because like I'm an expert in the problem that they're trying to solve right now because we've spent so much time together. And so there needs to be that continuity. It gets hard with defining the roles, of course, in post sales because who's going to own what? However, um, I'd rather over-communicate than um, under at this stage, especially.
0: Absolutely. So I know, I think Jackie has another question, but I want to do a really quick follow-on to what you just said. And I am constantly thinking about scale. That is like, Mm -hmm. my brain always goes to scale. And so are you finding that your continued involvement is scalable? And is that because you're focusing on bigger but less customers as opposed to lots of smaller customers?
3: Uh, I think it's actually long game versus short game and uh, how much resilience we have as humans. Uh, For me, like every time there's a positive interaction in our Slack, like that's my celebration. I don't celebrate a lot of things, but because I know that's the start of something bigger. Um, And like, if you can teach sales this of course too and engaging in communities every positive interaction you have, they're gonna have a conversation perhaps they may tell somebody in their company like whatever that is, it is going to make a difference. And so for us right now I actually maybe it's because I've done like startups I, I don't think about scale. Uh, I usually hand it off to somebody that can scale it and then I go and tackle the next thing that doesn't need, like that. We need to figure out before we can scale. Um, with community, what's fascinating to me is we do focus on scale and like I look at these communities with three three million members and stuff like that. and I'm like, you still like the community professional is actually the one that's like lighting these little fires that burn, that grow into something, which could be user groups, it could be advocacy or something. And so your job actually is almost or at least somebody on that team, depending on how big it is, it's always to do things that don't scale because those are the gonna th- be the things that grow into like leads down the line, your brand, all of these things that we talk about with community-led growth. If you don't do the programs, sooner or later, the product maybe isn't as good, people stop showing up. But if you have those programs, there's a, a level of like a moat almost in terms of like your branding, um, how people view you, uh, why they want to be associated with you, that it's, re- you, it's hard to screw up. Like I've seen tech communities where they have outages and people are sending them what's called like hug ops, which is like, Hey, you've never gone down. I love you all. We're here for you. Like, yes, our app's down. It's cool. Like, it's like that only that. happens with
2: commuting. <laughs> or like <laughs> helping them come back up yeah. in some yeah. cases. So yeah. and
0: status updates and all the things.
2: Josh, thanks so much for, for coming on. My question would be for community managers, what are your recommendations or what are some tactics that they can adopt to better collaborate with sales?
3: I think it depends. um, But I think it starts with like first understanding like sales. Like what, like if you're talking to me, like I only talk to maybe 20 different accounts in the world, you know, something like that. And so it's like my approach to sales is going to be different than say a sales development rep who is tasked with scheduling. Now, realistically, like no salesperson wants to send hundreds of emails a day, 50 calls a day. Nobody wants to do any of that kind of stuff. And so that's your opportunity. Um, the opportunity is like, okay, well, how can I make it so that the time you spend, one, adds value to the our prospect or customer? Because the only reason you're calling on them is because you believe there's a likelihood that they can buy. And so you have all this insight because you know all these individuals, perhaps the companies that are in your community. And so what can you do with that? So, there's two things. Like, one, I would say is one, like, ha- helping sales understand what is the role they can play. And so it's like asking questions. Like, if you see somebody that's your customer in there and they're running into it- it difficulty, if I'm running into an issue with a product and someone responds and says, Hey, like, I have this technical resource, we can go into your use case and we can try and overcome it together. As a community manager, you're like doing this. You're like, Yes, because like, I don't know what to do, you know, a lot of the times. Like, I don't want to. Uh, generalized too much. That's the help you could have today. You don't get it. And so sales is incentivized to move them along, to activate them. However, like if you're working with like individual sales, like what I've seen successful is it's like, okay, somebody joined from this company joined our Slack or a forum from this company, letting the sales team know that they're in there because they may have like an engagement. Like I said, this is a point in a customer journey where they may already have an opportunity and now all of a sudden, this person that just joined is maybe a decision maker. So it gives them an idea that, oh, they are engaged. OK, good. We're doing a good thing. And now I'll like, guide them on how they might engage directly if they should at all or just awareness. Like those things are valuable. Usually, though, what I would start with is going at the like management director level because then it's like, OK, to Jamie's point on scale, it's like. How do we do something that actually makes an impact to the company? Because everybody is practicing it. Um, And so like what we do when we onboard, because we typically start with like community teams, developer relations teams, then we may go and start working with product and then sales. Um, When we get sales involved, we have to lay the land like, here's what the community looks like. Here are the companies that are participating Here are some of the trends you see when three people join Slack on the same day, they're probably doing an evaluation. Um, Here's how you can engage. Here's how you can be alerted. Like there's so many different ways that we want to uh, programatize the experience for them, because the other thing is when you think about sales and the marketing stack versus community, they have. 20 different tools that they're using. Everything needs to plug into CRM. So anything bespoke is scary. And so that's why starting higher like does help. Um, But you can get some wins by going in and talking to individual reps. So if you see like a Wells Fargo joins or Amex or whatever this company is, um, and just finding that rep via like Salesforce or via sales counterpart, just so that you can show this is the type of data because today it's a black box. So you're going to market teams. They're just like, I think we do support over there. I don't really know. Like, um, and that's a huge problem.
0: I've heard a lot of like, oh, we have a community. <laughs> One thing that was really interesting to me when I was at SAP was that Enterprise customers a lot of times are looking for a support community. They want to know that you know if they have a problem, they don't have to wait necessarily in a support queue. They can go out and access a very robust self service community. Do you find that integrating that into like the sales stack or the onboarding from the sales side is actually helpful? Is it a is it a bonus? Is it a feature? Like yeah. it
3: makes it makes community consequential to the business. Like if you get to be on the customer journey timeline, then you can't be removed because that's risk you know so it's like if if you go from awareness it's like okay they attended a user group oh that's ran by community then once they activate on like the self-serve then they join forum or the slack to get help with questions like all of a sudden if you remove anybody from community you're either at the top of the funnel around awareness you're in the middle when they're in activation like these are consequential decisions and so i think like that was a great question because i'm like shit like i would i would absolutely do that
0: And I love Laura's question too about implementation because I think that is a place where internal teams struggle and where community can plug in as a solution because we see that, especially in large organizations. I mean, SAP is massive and you have these very complex implementations like Salesforce. You know, you have a whole partner ecosystem involved Mm -hmm. because it's so difficult to implement. So then the community really does become a critical part of the company.
3: Yeah, well, and even today, like when I think about Laura, I like. I feel so bad because there are times in earlier in my sales career where I take over an account and I look in this in salesforce or the crm there's no notes like i don't know anything about this account like i don't know who these people are I, like there's nothing and that's what happens to like post sales a lot of the time now today fortunately like there has been a lot more i would say emphasis placed on like product metric um so understanding usage like when i was at splunk one of the biggest challenge why community could have been so valuable to us is there were some products that we were working on where we didn't have the metrics on usage so i didn't know how hard it would be to upgrade them i didn't know if they even cared about the product, if they're using it, how do I reach out to them? Like, what do I say? I say, hi, I'm Josh. I'm your account rep or whatever it is. Like, I'd like to meet with you. They don't want to meet with me. They don't care. And if they're not using the product, they definitely don't. And so that's where community, again, with all the context, that thing you can anchor on, at least we might be able to find something here. Like uh, I work with like some customers that they do like workshops. And so before they go into a workshop, they'll just look to see who from within this company is engaging with us? What are they asking about all this? And all of a sudden you have like some context that get not only like, maybe it's valuable, but it gives you some confidence that you have some idea of what you're walking. And so, yeah, for post-sales, like community, especially for companies that don't have extensive like product metrics and aren't doing a lot in terms of health scoring, it's almost like the only thing you've got. Because
0: I was thinking about, okay, next then is expansion and renewals. And mm-hmm. at what point does your AE or your CSM go into the community and start looking at what are the problems they've run into? What's their overall sentiment as they express it in the community? Mm-hmm. And how do I tackle that going into this renewal conversation?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, like absolutely. And I, I love the like the sentiment pieces, not because I think sentiment is overly valuable. I think it has a lot of value um, when you look at it in terms of like trends by individual organizations. like Usually what we see is when someone's hosting a conference sentiment goes to the roof, when there's like a big announcement or something like maybe Nvidia partners with you today, you always get a bump in sentiment, uh, stuff like that. Um, However, like that data, this is why I love community so much is, so when you think about like from renewals and um, customer success and so forth, like you wanna know who are your advocates, who are your detractors, what are their specific use cases? Is there anything open that they haven't been helped with yet? Because that's the first piece of value I can provide. But that same data is valuable to product because it's like, what, what products are they asking about? Um, because one, this, that means this is a user that like fits this one persona that I care about, but also that they're talking about this product. So if I want to do a user research, I don't have to give $50 gift cards through a user research team. <laughs> I can just Slack them or whatever. Um, and then from community, it's like by seeing that these people are asking questions, making sure that they're escalated so that then maybe they'll stay more involved in the community. And then you're going to get the long tail facts in terms of engagement and all these things, because they see that this is a place that when they go there, they get the experience they want. Um, but one of our, our first like design partner customers. So this was like almost three years ago now. Um, their first big use case was for customer success. Originally it was like, let's, let's just measure our community. Um, so like all the North star metrics, what's our engagement, where do people live, who's in the community live, meaning like across the digital ecosystem, um, who's within the community, and then what happened very quickly was as they started to like see stuff like sentiment across an org, because this is a company that like there are people that love it and people that hate the product because <laughs> they have to use it. Um, and so you could very quickly see who within the, this organization do we really need to focus on um, and should we be focusing on the advocates versus the tra- detractors? And then what are the issues that they're having? Have we shipped new releases that solve for those? All kinds of stuff.
0: That is super interesting because I found, and I, I harp on this a lot, but I found that one of the mismatches in communication between community and other parts of the business is we are very focused on individuals. And so if you move from one company to another, I actually don't really care. I mm-hmm. want you to be successful as a human and mm-hmm. as a professional. And a lot of the other parts of the business are very focused on the account level and so mm-hmm. to hear you speaking about the individuals as detractors and advocates is really interesting. And I wonder if there is some um, growth or there's some learning that we can help drive on the sales side to get them to connect the dots there. Like, you already do some of this thinking. Mm hmm. Let's help you see how that fits into the community space as well and what we can do to activate or or help you emphasize on those individuals.
3: Yeah, and I think that's what like removes that, what you mentioned was like tension early on, animosity. <laughs> I feel like it's anxiety mostly. Yeah. But, but like now you're starting to think, okay, well, like if I can help them here, then we could actually help each other. And so I think it's just understanding all the different touch points or things that they do to deliver a great experience to a customer and a great experience usually results in a purchase it does or at least a referral and so um so yeah absolutely i think that curiosity that piece going in and talking to the sales team um and then showing them the data one of our customers they started working with in spring they were doing an all hands where half the slides were like these are our most strategic accounts here are the members of them that are in each of our ecosystems, you know, and stuff like that. And then there are a few other slides that with like supporting data around growth and the number of companies in a certain segment and all of these things. And all of a sudden, like afterwards, their Slack was blowing up because like the VP product is like, Hey, can I like talk to people that are engaging in these channels or can I do this or that? Because they have no idea. Because if you ask a product manager to go into your community They're going to go in, they're going to see a bunch of questions and they're going to be like, if I answer these questions, what's the impact? But we all know the impact is these users activate. And if they're users in the right accounts, then they may actually yield like huge growth, perhaps. So there's there's a lot there.
0: Love that. Any uh, last questions from you, Jackie or Laura?
3: You're all calling sales right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> to talk to them. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> no, thank you. I'm good.
0: Uh, this has been great. Thank you so much, Josh. I, I learned a lot in this conversation and I think uh, hopefully our viewers also learned quite a lot. I think there is a future where we all do work together and depend on each other. And I think part of that comes from having the right tool set where we can actually have that data to share back and forth that creates that value. And part of it is having those open conversations. I am interested if there is any sales training, probably sales training isn't the right word, but something that will help community folks speak better in the language of salespeople. And you know, if you have something in mind, great. If not, then it's something maybe we can follow up on with uh, with our notes on the recording.
3: There's very early sales, just earning learning the jargon so that you can build credibility across that aisle. Perhaps I would say like some of the content we're starting to push out is more go-to-market focused. Like what do you do with this data? I think that actually helps because it makes it more tactical because like community, the the challenge with community is such a horizontal organ or it should be a horizontal like organization within an, a company is that like, it's really hard to learn the languages of every stakeholder. And so the depth you need to go into, I would rather just get tactical on a couple use cases that can be applied because then you're doing less of the dance and you're proving that, hey, I understand the hard things about your job. Now let's talk about that. So there's a few pieces that we have um, generated recently that I think could help there. And I'll send those. And then also the other piece would be uh, the one that Rachel Perkins wrote on when she onboards the team. So the, the rest of her like peers in the company to like, this is community. This is what it's here for. I think it's a great starting point. And if you're not doing that when you join a company... Um, It's a big miss because then you end up with, wait, we have a community.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Josh. Uh, All right. Well, we are just about at the top of the hour. I want to tease our next episode, which we will be talking about mentoring and how that fits into your overall community strategy. Uh, we'll be having Dr. Ravi Gundlapali on, who is the CEO of Mentor Cloud. It was yeah, really, nice really to lovely you. to have you on. Thanks so much, Josh. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we will see you next week, same time, same place. Hey, bye. bye. bye.